Hello, and welcome to Sullivan County Democrat Podcast Weekly News Review. I'm Managing Editor Joseph Abraham, and here are this week's top stories. Starting with stories that appeared in Tuesday's paper, Sullivan County Democrat reporter-photographer Heather Horak got a tour of the county's recycling and waste management operations in Monticello. Sullivan County Recycling Coordinator Bill Cutler had a strong but simple message for residents on Earth Day, reduce, reuse, recycle, he says, quoting the well-known global slogan for waste reduction. As point person for the county's recycling program, he lives by this mantra, managing all aspects of materials recuperation at the county's waste management facility in Monticello. Most relevant to citizens' everyday needs, this 300-acre campus serves as a transfer station for both garbage and recycling. Residents of Sullivan County can bring in recycling for free and other waste for a disposal fee. Accepted waste includes household garbage, construction, and demolition debris, vehicle tires, scrap metal, appliances, fluorescent bulbs, propane tanks, motor oil, and electronic waste. Hazardous household waste is offered at collection events during the year, and the same goes for unwanted pharmaceuticals. Besides the central site in Monticello, five other transfer stations are located throughout the county in Ferndale, Eldred, Mamikating, Livingston Manor, and Cushecton. The stations do not accept yard waste, medical waste, hazardous materials, asbestos, explosives, ammunition, liquid waste, or radioactive materials. Cutler said, quote, This station in Monticello operates as a central hub of a hub-and-spokes solid waste design model for Sullivan County, which was conceived back in the 1980s. At that time, we had a number of leaky town landfills scattered throughout Sullivan County. What happened was that the state enacted legislation to compel the closure of those non-environmentally compliant landfills as part of a mission to centralize and regulate recycling and solid waste management. That meant the village operators transferred ownership to the county, which set up a series of transfer stations to oversee safe collection and handling. For more about the county's recycling operations, check out Heather's full article on our website, scdemocratonline.com. Looking at some police news, there's a familiar face leading the Village of Liberty Police Department. Stephen Degada has been promoted to the prestigious post of Liberty Police Chief. Degada, a Monticello High School graduate, has been with the Village of Liberty Police Department for the entirety of his career, starting as a patrolman and rising through the ranks to detective, detective sergeant, and now chief of police. He was hired by the department after graduating from SUNY Albany with a double major in criminal justice and psychology. He said, quote, I am honored and humbled to assume the position of chief of police. I look forward to working with the amazing men and women of the Liberty Police Department that do outstanding work each and every day to keep residents and visitors of the Village of Liberty safe. Degata replaces retiring chief Scott Kinney, who Degata praised for having, quote, created an outstanding department. Degata said, quote, I will continue to carry on the long tradition of excellence in public service that the Village of Liberty Police Department is known for. Moving forward, I will work with the community in a joint effort to ensure that Liberty is a safe place to live, work, and visit, and that the police department remains responsive to the changing needs of the community. In other news, contract negotiations between the Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association and the county legislature came to a head last week when legislators voted to approve the contract. Although the resolution passed, some legislators expressed hesitancy in voting yes on the contract, indicating that the SCVA wasn't happy with it. Legislator Nadia Rice said, quote, I believe they signed it under duress. When reached after the meeting, chairman of the SCVA board, Sims Foster, declined to comment. During the executive committee meeting that morning, the resolution passed 8-0, with legislator Ira Steingart abstaining, citing a conflict of interest because his business, Steingart Printing, has contracts with the SCVA. But during the full board meeting later that day, the vote was 5-3, with legislators Reich, 
Louis Alvarez, and Joe Perillo switching their votes to no. Raj said, quote, Although I think we need to move forward with giving these people their money, I'm disillusioned that the contract in some areas was changed and differs from what we've discussed in executive session. Perillo said, quote, They had a gun put to their head. They either sign it or lose their contract. Legislative Chairman Rob Doherty said the SCVA agreed to the terms and added that he thought it was fair. The contract includes language that funding from the room tax can go towards agencies that promote tourism. Doherty said if the room tax goes above $2.75 million, the SCVA will get 50% of the total of the room tax. If it goes above $3 million, they get 60%. So it's an incentive-driven contract, Doherty said. He added that the county plans to form its own agency to promote things like the O&W rail trail system and events in the county. Switching gears to stories which appear in today's front page, county employees at the Emergency Community Assistance Center, or the ECAC, have been hard at work since the center opened a little over a year ago. Located inside the County Transportation Department building in White Lake, ECAC has a primary mission to aid the most vulnerable populations, such as seniors and those who have to quarantine and cannot leave their homes. They provide food, referrals, and other services to individuals who are in need of assistance. County Manager Josh Pesosik said, quote, We created the ECAC a year ago to be a one-stop shop for anyone seeking information about COVID-19, and I'm very proud to say our ECAC team has helped connect thousands of people to the help they need, when they need it. Since opening, donations of food, hygiene products, and other supplies began rolling in. They even had to move locations a few times to accommodate the increasing amount. Lisa Ann Doyle, director for the Office of the Aging, said there were boxes everywhere. Her office provides weekly meals to seniors, and on Tuesday of this week, AMVETS had just dropped off donations of food and supplies. Bags filled the tables in the center's call room. Food, it seems, became the greatest need identified at the ECAC. They've now given out over 400,000 meals. The pandemic forced them, in a way, to create partnerships and look at how they can be the most efficient. Now they want to sustain those partnerships and efficiencies. Potosik said, quote, it's become clear that this is an incredibly valuable resource not just to address coronavirus concerns, but issues spanning our entire spectrum of services. The ECAC will continue long past the pandemic, sending everyone who calls to the right people and the right places to meet their needs. For a full summary of the ECAC's work, see staff writer Isabel Braverman's story on today's front page. As we've noted in recent news coverage, 2021 has been a crazy year for structure fires, and recently, a few more occurred. On Sunday evening, a multiple fire alarm went off for an active house fire on Fox Hill Road in Mountaindale. The Mountaindale Fire Department responded, and according to Fire Chief Andrew Millman, the home's attached garage was found to be fully involved along with the home's roof. A second call went out for mutual aid for water tank trucks. Summitville, Wurtsboro, Woodridge, and Rock Hill Fire Departments responded and provided water to combat the blaze that quickly overtook the home. The Democrat was on the scene and witnessed the water tank trucks from the different fire departments work in tandem, providing the much-needed water as flames from the home fire lit up the evening sky and smoke billowed from the structure. As one water tank truck left, another one made its way down the narrow Fox Hill Road to provide support. Chief Millman said that the fire destroyed the garage and the roof, while smoke and water damaged the rest of the house. A GoFundMe page has been set up for Richard Gesner and his wife Jackie, the homeowners, to help rebuild the house and to help with the total loss of items in the home. Gesner's sister, Jennifer Helt, said that thankfully everyone escaped the blaze alive. Helt said, quote, thank you to the first responders for making that sacrifice to get everyone to safety and thinking about the little things, like the firefighter who took the time to get the pictures down off the wall. 
She said the firefighters were also able to save her father's military service flag that had draped his coffin. It was kept folded and lived on her brother's mantle in a triangle-shaped memorial box. According to Sullivan County Fire Coordinator John Hoschel, the fire is under investigation by the Sullivan County Bureau of Fire. Also in today's paper, you can read about how Liberty firefighters quickly quelled the blaze at a Chinese restaurant on South Main Street, as well as how local fire departments are holding recruitment events in the near future. And finally, in what will prove one of the most consequential decisions in recent memory, the town of Liberty moved a step closer towards the final plan to upgrade Swan Lake's 35-year-old wastewater treatment plant. Board members and Swan Lake residents have debated for the better part of a year on the size and scope of the proposed upgrade for a sewer district that covers 1.15 square miles and currently serves about 1,500 people. The town board and Delaware Engineering presented a compromise plan during a socially distanced public hearing held at Hanafee Park on Tuesday. Dave Oman and Mary Beth Bianconi of Delaware Engineering were on hand to walk through the proposal and answer questions. An update to the treatment plant has been discussed for decades, but Delaware Engineering has been consulting with the town about the project since 2014. Originally proposed to cost $20 million and process nearly 1 million gallons per day, a compromise plan costing $18 million would increase plant capacity to 686,000 gallons per day, as well as upgrade aging equipment and repair-slash-build new facilities to adhere to stricter regulatory compliance. Besides seasonal capacity limitations the plant currently experiences, the Town Planning Board has already approved new developments that, when connected to the sewer system, will put the current plant at or over-permitted capacity. Furthermore, Delaware Engineering says there is no room to accommodate future growth that will help spread the cost of maintaining and operating the sewer system throughout the district. If approved, the $18 million will come from a 30-year zero-interest loan, which the town is eligible to receive through the New York State Environmental Facilities Corporation Hardship Financing Program. According to numbers from Delaware Engineering, the sewer district upgrade is expected to raise annual sewer rates from $840 to between $1,536 and $1,415. The town said it would try to mitigate costs by, quote, aggressively pursuing grants, including a potential $4.5 million matching EFC grant. To read more about the Swan Lake sewer plant situation, as well as the public's reaction to the revised plan, see editor Matt Shortall's article on today's front page. That concludes today's episode of the Sullivan County Democrat podcast. As a reminder to subscribe to the paper, you can call 845-887-5200. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to check out our stuff on the web, head to scdemocratonline.com.